Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, David James, and he is the Chief Learning Officer with 360 Learning. And he is just a wealth of information and so much to say about our industry and learning and development and tips for making digital learning that makes an impact. And so I'm so excited to have you with us here today, David. So will you do a better job of introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, thanks, Robin. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So, so you're right. I am a Chief Learning Officer at 360 Learning, who acquired my previous company, Loop, last year. Our whole thing was solving the problems with digital learning in organizations that I wish I'd had in my 15 years of in-house learning and development. I spent eight years at Disney. I was Director of Learning, Talent, and Organizational Development for Europe, Middle East, and Africa across all the different divisions there based in the European headquarters in London. Prior to that, I was at NatWest Bank in the uh, in the UK, Lloyds Bank in the UK, and Lehman Brothers. Whatever happened to them? But I was only there for uh, for a year or so. Uh, but as I mentioned, my mission since leaving the corporate world of learning and development has been to do with technology what I wish I had had all of that time. Because, like so many people before and now, the thought of of implementing and getting sustained engagement in learning tech, let alone impact, is still a huge challenge and one that I've dedicated the last seven or eight years of my career to. Well, then that makes an easy transition, David. So, I mean, you had to have noticed what makes it... I think we have to start with like, what makes it bad? And then we could go to like, how do you... What are the things that we can do instead? So what are some Mm. of the things that you notice that are kind of like the biggest errors that we make? I think the biggest error that we make across the whole board is not taking account of the context of the people that we're seeking to influence, both organizationally, departmentally, role-wise, and maturity within the organization. Largely, those things are ignored. Now, when we think about when we as people need the most help in our organizations, it's as we transition into and through our organization. But it's not necessarily just the technical element. A lot of us are hired for our technical skills. But it's everything that stems from how do I do that here? That is the stuff that people really struggle with in organizations. And you see people, very talented people join organizations, and I saw it at Disney a lot, that you've got these very smart people come in and immediately you see them in the first week and they are making mistakes culturally they are you know so at disney it was it was one that said that your currency was everything you needed to develop and maintain a profile a strong network and it was decision by consensus tall poppies got cut down at disney now if you didn't tell smart people that's how it worked at a base level then you were setting them up to fail so what we did is what a lot of organizations do. We tell them the mission, we get them excited, we show them the org chart, we teach them how to process their expenses, how to use the intranet, and then we send them on their way to do their compliance training. We don't teach them 
anything about how the organization actually works and how to use the organization. So I'd say that that the biggest mistake that we make is thinking we know what people need in order to succeed, but we don't actually know. And so we miss the mark by an enormous measure. And I'll give you an example, the, probably the biggest example of how we get it wrong. If we buy a platform filled with 10 million bits of content and none of it relates to, to the, the context that I've already described, then you've already wasted your money. But not only have you wasted your money, you've invested your time, resources, and currency into something that cannot make the difference required that your people need. Yeah, that's a that's a huge mistake. And I bet a lot of it too. And I mean, I'm just thinking about your example you gave about Disney that tall poppies get cut down. It's almost kind of like, I bet there's some fear around telling the truth of a culture when it doesn't seem to line up exactly with what they say their culture is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, so they, but there's a book called Disney Wars. Uh, and I was given this when I first joined the organization. I was taken to one side and told, Disney's really political. This is the history of its politics. And this will help you to, to both understand where it comes from, but how to navigate it now. I mean, how powerful is that? I mean, it's on the open market, this book, Disney Wars. But imagine that every organization was as honest as that and said, we are highly political. But too often you get the idealized version. You know, oh, we really, we care for our people. Our people are our number one asset. We want you to be your brilliant, unique self. Bring your whole self to work. Robin, that's so rarely the case because what people want when they come in is what I, I say is like a map of the territory. You say, show me exactly how your organization works, what I need to look out for, what I need to amplify through myself, perhaps what I need to hold back, what do I need to refine in order to be successful here? Give me a map of the territory, not a map that you've drawn and told me you wish the organization was like this. Uh, we do, I mean, we do this again, like when learning and development decide that that they would like to change the roles within organizations because it's best practice to. And we've all seen it, managers as coaches. There's one. It needs to fit into the culture because if learning and development determine that, that managers as coaches is the most appropriate way, but say, for example, in finance, it's led by a tyrant and it's a dictatorship and he gets things done the way that he wants, that filters down the, the behaviors that are actually exhibited and then what is tacitly recognized as the expected and rewarded behaviors in terms of your career are far more powerful than somebody saying, well, this brand new role that you've been part of, it's built around coaching. Now look at things, well, that's, you're going back to your point, that's incongruent. That's, it's just not true. So I think that learning and development a lot of the time will create the programs to try to encourage the culture that they want to impress upon rather than give the, the map of the territory that helps people to be successful wherever they jump on in the organization. I mean, I know this is a little bit different, but I'm always thinking about like, how can I create the systems for my own business? And it's always creating those standard operating procedures, especially as a young business. I'm like, one of the first rules of creating an SOP is write down the process as it is, not yeah. as how you want it to be. And I think that that same kind of myth is carrying over into our learning development, right? Where you think like, oh, well, if I'm going to write it down, then it should be perfect and just the way that I want it to be and not how it really is, to your point. 
And I get that, right? So that we are basically ignoring their context in order to paint a different picture to try to push people to the place that we want them to be instead of accounting for where they really are and actually impacting them where they are. So I bet that leads David into what are the ways that you can really be mindful of the context and kind of change our approach so that it's more impactful keeping these things in mind. First of all, I would say that the way I like to look at it is look at it through a digital lens rather than the whole of learning and development. And I think that that's that's never been more relevant than now because people work in hybrid workforces. uh, And so you can't see your workers. uh, Managers can't see the workers. The learning and development team can rarely see them. And so all we have really are indicators. Whether people engage or not is an indicator. So the way that I see it is that we need to be solving the problems that people are experiencing within the organization rather than just providing learning experiences. And I like the term problem because if we are solving a pain point for somebody, they will engage. If it's in the context of their role, if it is speaking to them in the maturity within their role in the organization, they recognize it as a pain point. They're not able to do something efficiently or effectively, and you're with them to guide them and support them when they need the help we're onto a winner. We can actually do something here. It's when we start creating learning experiences to help them to to reach some kind of role nirvana that, that we've determined in learning and development. That's when we'll go way off track. So my point is when it comes to the recognition of what we may have called a learning need before, but really should be a critical point of failure in the operation, then what we can do is we can explore that to understand whether it is a critical point of failure, what the experiences of the people who are expected to perform and get results and work with them in a partnership so they do more of the right stuff to achieve the results. Now, that's so different from gathering a load of learning needs from across a business, aggregating them up to, say, a common level of pain. You could possibly say a a common level of abstraction. So you take somebody's inability to manage their business as usual and projects, to somebody who's overwhelmed within their job, to somebody who's just been promoted to manager for the first time. And a lot of that could be wrapped up in time management. But so, so all those needs go up to the top. They're aggregated at a certain level and standardized solutions are then brought down. And what they, they generally cover are some of the best practices and new thinking in time management. And the people who then open those up either on their desktops or attend a session, take a look. And we've all seen it a million times. I don't know why I'm here. And they don't know why they're here is because we're not addressing the issues that they are experiencing. So you've got learning needs on one side. But I like to look at this like problems from a cohort perspective, but it has to start with a critical point of failure in your organization. When I look at my time at Disney, there was one where Italy had a flourishing publishing business. But this was in, say, 2011, 2012, when digital publishing was taking over. But there was a huge problem because there wasn't a huge proliferation of smart devices within the team. The average tenure in the Italian office was 11 years. So we had to try to increase people's awareness of what digital publishing was and then seed digital capability so that people performed a different job to achieve different ends. Robin, you, we, there wasn't a training course on earth 
that we used for that. What we needed to do was understand what the future would look like. What does digital publishing in Italy look like? Now, you just look like at slightly more mature markets. You help to articulate what that actually is. You show people what it looks like, and then you build personalized paths towards to get it. But largely, it was mini accelerated apprenticeships. But it was a critical point of failure. Everybody was on board because it actually mattered. Now, when you take a look at, say, gathering learning needs on the other side, when you're not addressing a critical point of failure, you might be looking at something as silly as courageous conversations. And I call that silly, Robin, because we've been believing this nonsense for too long. I, I, we did this at Disney. We're going to stop doing performance reviews and start having courageous conversations. I mean, you can convince any senior stakeholder that it's a good idea without relating to anyone's job. And where it falls down is when you get a load of seasoned managers in a room and you say, right, now we're going to do courageous conversations. And they laugh because they don't need it. It's not, you know, it's a solution to a problems we're trying to conjure up. And that is so much to do with learning needs. So what I say is, that a critical point of failure is being experienced by the people we want to influence. Learning needs are quite often manufactured, aggregated to a level of abstraction, and then addressed with standardized content or, or programs that people rarely recognize their role in. I mean, you've just, there's just so much that you've said here, David, but <laughs> I mean, that that's true, right? Like just thinking about like, even the person who is like a project manager and but you put them in a time management, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. why do I need this? I'm a project manager. Obviously I have all the time management skills that I need. And it's so interesting that it's like, it's almost as if like we try to create false motivations through mm -hmm the final solution, instead of, like you said, finding that critical problem that has motivation built in for people to actually want to learn because they want to be able to do their job or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what you're saying too, from what I understand, right? Like we don't need to create courses to build motivation if we know what the true problem is and we know how to treat people in their context yeah. of where they are. Yeah, and when they need the help, Robin. So, 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 so I see this all the time. We we see this in in not just digital learning and e learning over the last twenty or thirty years, but in face to face as well. The added bribe to try to convince people there might be value here. We've seen it with trying to save the world from boring e learning, with serious games, other gamification elements pitting people off against each other in leaderboards. Who's done the most learning, right? right? Learning and development have fallen for this bananas for decades, but the people who haven't are the employees. The smart employees who are seen as high potential in your organization don't play that game. They play the getting challenges, overcoming those challenges, developing their profile and advancing their careers. That's where they are. But all of this adding a bribe to try to get people in so they then see the value of our 10 million pieces of content is ridiculous and it will always be ridiculous. To counter that, it's really easy. You need to give people what they need in the context of their work and the maturity of their role. So what's stopping them from achieving the expected and rewarded performance and the outcomes that come with it when they actually need it? It's really simple. And if you don't believe me, there's been this really quite famous piece of research that's been done by these companies called Google and YouTube for over 15 years that prove that when people need help, when, when the concern emerges, to use Nick Shackleton Jones's words, then people are motivated to go find the help. Now, 
You do need to switch that around. When people join organizations or are new to a role, they don't know what they don't know. And so we can surface what they need based upon the experience of people who have been in their shoes already and not too far ahead trying to solve the problems of new starters, new team members as they move into a particular team in an organization. When they reach a new level, say management or, or head of or, or, or senior exec, those problems are often the same and they're very rarely technical. People are button up against the culture all the time. And I know this. I spent eight years at Disney meeting new people after new people, level after level, reading 360 feedback after 360 feedback. It's always the same that people butt up against the culture with their different styles and then they need to find their way and adjust. And I think that the, the data's there, the clues there, the evidence is there. If we seek to understand what it is that people are trying to do uh, in service of their own goals, aims, and objectives, when they actually need the help, we'll find that it's, it's, it's far more apparent and we can move at speed to address these. And we can do this with digital tools rather than necessarily just holding out for face-to-face -face events that are often too soon or too late to really make a difference. So what are some of your go-to solutions for this way of thinking about how we solve these critical problems that come up in the business, right? So you've mentioned that let's look through a digital lens. We can't really see exactly where people are because they're not in the office. And so what are some of the strategies that you use keeping all of this in mind? Well, I advocate strongly for data and evidence-based practice. I think it's the cornerstone. I think it's at least 50% of the work because if you can recognize a specific problem and you're working in partnership with the people who are responsible for the work, you are a long way towards finding something you can try to make a difference. So data and evidence-based practice requires us taking training needs or observing training needs or learning needs as simply assumptions. That is all they are. They may come as a request. And if they come as a request, they're simply a call for help. You want my help? Brilliant. Explain to me what the problem is. So they might say, we need some middle management training. Brilliant. It's an assumption. Right? So let's, let's just dig. So you might ask yourself, what, what you might you need to see to prove or disprove this assumption? Okay, brilliant. So what's not happening because you need middle management training? Well, the middle managers can't do this. So again, it's just these are presenting problems. You might just dig down further. So what is it that you need them to achieve? So, so we could we talk about the training. I'd love to do your training for you. What will they do differently? You're, so you'll just seek it here. Right. So we they would stop communication, bottlenecking, and then not getting down to the bottom. We're going, brilliant. We're still getting to an assumption. What is the impact that this is having? So say, well, we our teams aren't as productive as they should be. Then when you get down to a certain level of specificity, brilliant, show me the data. If there is a real problem, there is data. There's data in any given organization now. And that might emerge as unhappy customers, service level agreements not being hit, talented people leaving. There's all sorts of things, but you have to get to a level where there is a problem being experienced by a group of people that is leading to people not achieving the goals or the organization not achieving it. And that's your data. A lot of levels, a lot of examples, there'll be no data. And Robin, if there's no data, there's likely no problem. So that's when you 
actually decide that either you try to apply as little attention and money as you possibly can, because sometimes senior stakeholders just want something done. I use the example that I've got an eight-year-old daughter and sometimes she falls over and she gets a bruise and she's in tears and she tells me that she wants a plaster. And you know what? I'm a caring dad and I'll give her a plaster. And we both know it's going to make no difference, but she feels better. And that's your stakeholder over there who just wants training and there isn't any data. But when there is data and you can see that there is a problem, service level agreements not being hit, customer satisfaction not being at the right level, losing customers, unhappy clients, top people leaving, all of that good stuff, then you go to the people responsible for actually achieving that and you show them the data and say, what's your experience? That you're not doing the thing that you're here to do. What is it that you're experiencing that means that you're ineffective or inefficient at doing that? And then you have a conversation with your stakeholder next to you and you talk about everything that's getting in the way. And there's going to be systems, processes, relationships. There's going to be a lack of currency within the team, all of that stuff. And when you keep it, carry on shaking, there'll be some capability and skill stuff as well. And you do that little bit, your stakeholder knows that you have nothing to do with the communication, the processes, the system. They know all of that stuff. They're not asking you to do it, but you need to have that conversation about everything. But you shake the tree, you catch your apples, and then you help. You run small experiments to see whether giving people information, know-how, or insights can actually help, but they tell you what they what they think they need. And that's how you build it out. We stop building and buying huge suites of content and thinking that because there's 10 million bits of content and only 100,000 employees, then there must be something for everybody because it doesn't work like that. What we need to do is we work we, we're from critical points of failure, which means that people in our organization aren't able to do the things that they're meant to do, which is costing the organization money, customers or opportunity. And then we zero in. We find out from their perspective what they need, what's actually missing. And then we look to just add little bits rather than providing the abundance and moving on. And everybody within our, in the learning and development team benefits. Your, your, first of all, your evaluation people or your data and analytics people, they know what to measure because you knew what ground zero was. Your designers, your instructional designers know because they don't have to read the book on project management. They need to simply understand the context and what's stopping those people. Like when you mentioned earlier about project management, Robin, it really made me laugh because at Disney, I had these requests all the time. I want to attend Prince 2 training. And you're looking going, but, but people don't want, they don't do Prince 2 projects here. There is decision by consensus. There is leading without authority and all of that great stuff. But you're able to solve the problem in the context of the organization and not necessarily just build academically robust project managers who probably still wouldn't be able to get the right stuff done within our organization. So it just makes everybody's job easier if we are data and evidence-based rather than simply looking to build solutions that we think are robust from a learning theory perspective, but miss the mark because they just don't have the context of the people that we're seeking to influence. So you see that if we just, I am right there with you, David. So just from the starting point, change how we look at the starting point as more of a critical problem. We're looking at the data. We're looking at, is there data that indicates that there's a real problem? What are these obstacles that they are experiencing in the context of their role? And then you start to find solutions from there. Are there any type of solutions that look different from what we build now, but it's more about the starting point that's different? Or does the end solution look different as well? 
Yeah, the end solution is so much smaller. It's laser focused. We find that we're not building 45 minute pieces of content because people don't have a tolerance for that. We don't do that in our real lives. We look for the answer to get us from not knowing to doing in the shortest amount of time. We put the guardrails up. We're not going to ask a complete novice to take one piece of information and then go apply it. They'll still need some context. But in solving real problems, we'll break it down to the the questions, the challenges, and the unfamiliar situations people find themselves in, and then guide them and support them to doing more of the right stuff. In corporate learning and development, it's much less about education and much more about guiding and supporting performance. So yes, the solutions, whilst they still might be text, they might still be a video recording, there might still be some animation, they are laser focused on the unfamiliar situations and challenges people find themselves in rather than broad to encapsulate so much more that a topic might offer. Because we go big on a topic because we don't know the context. If we understand the context, we zero in. Yeah, just like, I mean, to your YouTube example, like when I wanted to fix my own garbage disposal, I didn't go look for a history of garbage disposal or how they work. I just wanted to know like how to fix it. Right. And so you just go find like the one video is like how to fix your garbage disposal. Right. And if they spend too much of the time talking about the garbage disposal, that's not the video for me. Right. It's like, no, like just show me how to fix it. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the same for new managers in organizations, Robin. We say that we can't uh, develop skills with digital solutions. But the problem is, is it's harder to make a lasting memory when you've got dull click next e-learning that doesn't understand the job. But if you're answering the questions as people butt up against the culture about what it means to be a new manager here in sales at company X, so many people have already experienced that. And then you get to the real nitty gritty. And it's not trying to create, again, academically robust managers. It's about equipping people with enough confidence and competence to do more of the right stuff, exhibiting the expected and rewarded behaviors more consistently in order to get some results. Because a lot of the time, what I'm describing doesn't replace good e-learning or good programs. This replaces people fumbling along and making the same mistakes that have already been made thousands of times in your organization. So adding some predictability and reliability and gathering the collective know-how that already exists within your organization to guide and support people who need the help as they transition into and through your organization. I just love what you said about how like most people are butting up against the culture in their organization because I just think back to even my corporate days. And all the troubles that I had in my corporate days was culture. I mean, I went from higher education to a large corporate cubicle situation. And I just, I had no clue, no clue about like when I should be emailing, how often I should be emailing, how I should come off less subversive or whatever to my boss. None of it. I had no clue. And I even had my boss at one time bring me in and say like, I don't want to fire you because of any of the usual reasons. I want to fire you because of your style. He's like, you meet your deadlines and you do great work, but I just don't like your style. And I I didn't know what that meant. And so I just bring it up because it's so much to your point that that's exactly where people are. They're like, yeah, but how am I a manager? How am I X, Y, Z in this company? And even I'm just thinking about all the transitioning teachers that come from a classroom to a corporate situation as a instructional designer, even them, I'm sure that they're probably thinking like, yeah. And I've heard it from my students who land those jobs. Like I just got zero training on how to navigate 
the culture. And so I think what you're saying is just so important, just so important just to keep in mind. And so I know that I am kind of coming to the end, David, but I do want to hear what is your best and final advice for those that are looking to become an idol, those new instructional designers, based on what we've talked about, what would you tell them? I would say data and evidence-based practice. Like So base what you're going to build on what people are not able to do efficiently or effectively. Don't try to educate them on everything around a particular topic. That's not helpful. Uh, And you can largely Google that stuff. But if you can help people to navigate the culture and exhibit the expected and rewarded behaviors, they'll keep coming back. You won't have to worry about getting people motivated to engage in your content. They will because you're solving the most important problems for them. David, thank you so much. I know that you've just brought a lot of clarity to so many people that listen to this podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Robin. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.